big throw at the beginning and, and then almost pulling out the, 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 the tie at the end. I guess we can move away from Minshew mania towards a loop insanity. Hello, Michael Dahl, Four Quarters, your one-stop shop for news, views, and overreactions to all things NFL. We've hit the halfway point, and guess what? Tom Brady shit again. <laughs> so hey, we got Connie here, we got Ronan. Hello. And we got Sean. Hello. How are we getting on, guys? How's all in Cork? Not too bad, not too bad. I was up until about 4 a.m. on last Tuesday watching Democracy be very slowly saved. <laughs> um, it was good. I finally... I. I was trying to stay up until something certain happened, and I finally gave up when it was like a full hour where not a single development had occurred. They were just, the CBS guys were just talking constantly around the same set of stats for a full hour, and I was like, okay, that is the official moment that it's time to go to bed. Mm. Yeah, no, I mean, it looks like it actually, the Republican Party seems to be abandoning Trump, which is good, and we might not cause as much trouble as we thought. So, all good all around, I would say. A good, good result for everyone concerned. Yeah, and uh, you know, holding holding press conferences beside adult bookstores and things like oh, that. It's <laughs> it's it's, ma- yeah, it's making for very is, entertaining uh, watching. From, from you know, yeah, now that we know what is, the result is going to be, it's very, it's much more entertaining. That's pure yeah. thick of it, Veep style stuff. I mean, that, that's just brilliant. brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> oh, but what about yourself? It's any crack. Yeah, well, you know, I, I didn't stay up late for the uh, American stuff. Uh, I think at this point, yeah, it's pretty much done, except for the sound and the fury signifying nothing. It doesn't sound like Donald will, will go away quietly, but I don't think there's much he'll be able to do, considering basically Biden has won by the same amount that he won by. So mm. swings and swings and roundabouts. But uh, yeah, other than that, keeping it pretty quiet, you know, working away, uh, tipping away and uh, yeah, keeping safe uh, and socially distance, you know. I think the numbers are coming down pretty well at the moment, so uh, yep. Christmas might happen, you know, or at least we might be able to go able to see our families at Christmas. Mm. Uh, the numbers are falling good and fast everywhere, apart from Donegal, where I visited this weekend, which was uh, great. <laughs> uh, but it's Dublin, okay. Dublin is still lagging behind us. I think yeah, I think I think they said there's like there's one area in like North County Dublin that the numbers are increasing still. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Thanks, whoever the. Is it like swords or something like that up there? I don't know. But uh, yeah, no, apart from that, it's good. We got all our stuff moved down. We're properly moved in. Uh, as hopefully the listeners will hear better sound quality this week. I've got my actual normal wired internet installed now. So so that's a plus. Uh, but I suppose we should probably fly into it. Uh, our main stories this week, as always, is going to be COVID-19. There was player cases in Pittsburgh and they had some staff. Chicago, Philly, Houston, Miami, Cincinnati, Green Bay all had some issues. Staff and coach cases turned up in Indianapolis, Kansas City, Atlanta. Uh, the schedule didn't get pushed on anywhere. Uh, so again, another victory for another week happening. Um, Kendrick Bourne, the wide receiver for San Francisco, had a false positive, which caused several players to miss Thursday night football although it's now actually positive so i think he got tested yeah. again afterwards <laughs> i think it was earlier this like it's just happened this week that now he's positive so i don't know what's happening to be honest okay and detroit qb matt stafford nearly missed uh, his game due to a close contact but he got there in the end uh and the nfl also finally levied some fines so if you remember i think it was week two or thereabouts uh the raiders were not following any of the protocols because they're you know 
tough, scary, hard raider pirate people who don't care about no rules. So they got fined half a million dollars. Gruden gets 150, and they're getting rid of. They're losing a sixth round draft pick apparently. Um, but yeah, like overall, it was a bit of a sloppy one. Couple of players missing Thursday night football and everything. But all in all, again, pretty decent week for COVID, not disrupting too much in the NFL, right? Yeah, I mean, for me, it's once again the fact that the, all the games happened is, is ultimately what we need to focus on here. Each week is a is a success in terms of that. The in the the lower case number, the fact there hasn't been a, a kind of Tennessee style breakout since that that that, um, that that week for the Titans is a good sign. And the fact that the NFL is now fining teams for violations is also a good sign. It'll be interesting to see if the the Raiders will uh, learn their lessons. Um, it seems that teams and officials and the organizers, everyone seems to be learning as things going on and, and things get better. So I'd say I'm a little bit more optimistic than I was a few weeks ago that we'll get to the end of the season. Um, but it is just going to take one or two major outbreaks uh, in, in a team to to put this season in jeopardy again. Not out of the woods, but certainly the I didn't I didn't think we'd get to week nine and it'd still not be a, have another major problem um, after the first few the, the problems with the first few weeks no of course nice to see the vegas guys finally getting fined for just acting like stupid shites uh yeah and gruden i think i probably was complaining about receiving this but like he yeah look wear your masks do the protocols it's working so far for them and we're as, as we said we're halfway through a season now with nearly all the season happening without too much disruption like just stick to it uh we had a couple of injuries this week as well some pretty nasty ones washington quarterback kyle allen oh god uh had a really really horrible looking ankle injury where his ankle went in completely the wrong direction uh he's gone for the season although the news is that it was just a complete dislocation and not like a shattering and separation so it's a positive um it was kind of flashbacks to because it was alex smith who came in to replace him the horrible leg injury that he got now it's obviously a lot uh, lighter scale of injuries versus that, but still not great. And Kansas City have lost defensive end Taco Charlton to a lower leg fracture for the season. Uh, the defensive end had been playing pretty well for them. It was a nice rotational piece. Uh, he'd been picked up from, I think it was the Cowboys over the summer on a very cheap deal. Uh, so a bit of a setback for a guy trying to get back into the league after a disappointing start to his rookie stuff. Uh, any of those jump out to you? Like the Washington situation, it's not great, but it's now going to cause questions about do they bring back up Dwayne Haskins, even though he was in the doghouse, or how do they manage that situation? Yeah, like I think the indications are they're not going to bring Haskins in, though of course he'll he'll be probably the backup on, on game day, but it seems like they're, they're going to go with Alex Smith, a quarterback, like the... Obviously, it's an amazing story to get Alex Smith back, but the returns on the field have not necessarily been amazing. Um, so it's a situation where, look, they're, they're a team that is, as we always say with these uh, NSC's teams, playoff relevant, but, you know, it's not really a quarterback-driven team. So, look, I think it's, it, you know, it, it's good to hear that similar to Pat Mahomes last year, there's a situation where it, it wasn't as bad as it looked, um, but obviously it's not a situation that you necessarily... Uh, want to see happen on the field and yeah Taco Charlton yeah he's a rotational pass rusher for you guys in Kansas City but uh, I think you know you can find someone of roughly equivalent value like even uh, in the cuts later on you might see when someone who might end up in Kansas City if the price is right yeah no of course 
Um, other injuries, Carolina running back Christian McCarthy came back, uh, played well against the Chiefs and then injured his shoulder. He's week to week. Baltimore defensive tackle Calais Campbell has injured his calf and he's multiple weeks. Miles Gaskin, the running back from Miami, has injured his knee and he's on temporary IR. They just can't keep him running back these days. Tennessee defensive end Jadavion Clowney has injured his knee and he's week to week. Again, very disappointing player this season so far. And Dallas cornerback Trayvon Diggs has injured his foot and he's out for four to six weeks. Um, I suppose Calais Campbell is probably the biggest loss here because that Baltimore team is quite dependent on its defense at the moment but obviously Christian McCaffrey makes that Carolina team very different and uh, to see more injuries coming in like this is probably why you don't constantly have like 400 plus carry seasons yeah and it's you know you know the people I feel really bad for are fantasy owners who got like one week of them and now, now they get they get one week more where he gets over 30 points or something and now he's might be gone again but uh yeah look Christian McCaffrey he came back looked like Christian McCaffrey um it's like day to day by Matt Rule but I think based on reports it's more like week to week if he misses time that'll be an issue but they have Mike Davis there so they might you know at least reduce his workload a bit but yeah clearly it's Campbell. Um, he's been pretty effective since he went to Baltimore this year. Um, he's kind of a he's just kind of do it all like defensive end in that scheme. Um, but I think given the overall quality of that team, they shouldn't take a massive step back because of it. Um, they beat a pretty decent team this week, for example. So yeah, like for the rest of these, like Jadavian Clan is just a situation where he hasn't done anything for them really in Tennessee, and they actually look better this week without him and without Vic Beasley, who, who they cut. Um, so maybe you know Vrabel just needs to get like his young guys under the wing rather than these expensive free agents. Um, and Miles Gaskin was having a pretty decent season for Miami, so it's a it's a bit of a shame there. But I don't think he's necessarily the most explosive player. Hmm. Uh, we saw as well, just in response to that Gaskin thing, or maybe a little bit beforehand, Miami decided to bolster that running back room, so they traded a 2021 sixth rounder uh, for DeAndre Washington and a seventh rounder from Kansas City. Uh, probably decent value for Kansas City for a bubble guy who was probably gone anyway after the signing of Bell. Uh, they traded Isaiah Ford, the wide receiver, for a 2021 seventh rounder from New England, so kind of very low wattage end of... Uh, trade deadline movements there so nothing too crazy but we did have a couple of cuts so Atlanta have cut defensive end Tack McKinley Tennessee have cut Vic Beasley and Chicago have cut Ken Ted Ginn Jr so Atlanta's defensive lost people Tennessee's defensive lost people and Chicago's offensive lost people uh, which seems to be a, a strange spot for all of them to lose but hopefully it's addition by subtraction yeah, like with Tack McKinley, I think the only thing I've noticed is that I think people were offering, still offering stuff before the trade window for him this year. I think it was like a fifth or a sixth, and now they've cut him like a week later, and it's a bit like, what the hell are you doing? I think last year people were offering a second for him, and obviously mm. a bit more, bit more upside. But yeah, a bit of a stranger from Atlanta. If you're basically like, if you were going to cut him anyway, I don't know what's happened there. I do know that after the trade deadline went, he did make some comments on social media basically saying that they should have traded him so maybe that's the the inciting incident but yeah not great management from atlanta there and yeah vic beasley alongside jadavian clanny for tennessee a massive bust in free agency um the guy just apparently doesn't really want to play football he's not really in that interested and uh yeah maybe he'll get picked up by someone again but uh more likely than not he won't really help you out if you're looking for edge help yeah uh be interesting enough to see uh, do we have any idea where these guys might land? Or 
Uh, I think right now, technically, he'll find somewhere, certainly at least on a practice squad. But, you know, like any team that needs defensive end like Kansas City um, and who's contending, it makes sense. Like, But uh, I don't know, uh, like Seattle, for example, is another team. So, yeah, we'll, we'll see where they end up. But I, I think they're, they're, there won't be much interest in Dick Beasley. Sure. Seattle, Seattle sort of, they got Carlos Dunlap now after their trade uh, two weeks yes, ago. Yes, and the defense worked perfectly. <laughs> yes, and we will get to that in a little touch. So what we're going to do is have a look at uh, our, because we've hit the halfway point, we're going to look at the uh, our preseason predictions, our premature congratulations, and see where they sit. Okay, so first up we had comeback player of the year. Uh, Fitz had gone for Cam Newton. Uh, I'm pretty happy I'm going to stick with my pick. Alex Smith, who is back and playing football, even if he's yet to win a game. And in fact, some could say he cost them the game this week. Uh <laughs> He still, you know, he got them to a to 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 to, to a potentially game winning drive, and that's what I'll focus on. That he had them in that position. Um, yeah, Sean, you didn't have a, you weren't here for the for the preseason one, so your pick at the moment is Alex Smith as well. Yeah, yeah, I think the fact that this guy is not only returned but is now likely to be a starting quarterback for an, an actual NFL team for a good half of a season is in itself enough for a comeback player of the year. I mean, we didn't think this guy was, I mean, the guy could be dead by now. I mean, or certainly there could be issues with him walking around and the fact that he's playing at this level. So and enough to beat out other quarterbacks, admittedly not too many impressive quarterbacks, but beating out other quarterbacks to be a starter for an NFL team for me, I mean, I can't see it going to anyone else. Yeah. You had uh, Cam Newton fits. Uh, you, 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 you were living the dream. Yeah, like it, it started well, but uh, at this point, yeah, look, if Alex Smith wins one game, it's a absolute slam dunk. Even if he doesn't, I think, yeah, he'll still get it anyway. Yeah, our breakout players, uh, I went very wrong on this. I had Nikhil Harry, wide receiver for New England. Uh, you had Jeffrey Simmons, Tennessee uh, defensive tackle. So I think we're going to swap out of those picks anyway. Yeah, I'm like, I'm, I'm going to go with Justin Herbert because he's he's just like like I've, I've said it a couple of times on this show now already. I am putting my hands up. I was completely wrong about him. Uh, my draft analysis was horseshit. But to be fair, I don't do very much of it. Yeah, and like to be honest, like just like I generally try to go for, you know, guys who break out from being relatively unexpected previously. Mm. And I think Robbie Anderson's had a really good season in Carolina. He's basically took over the wide receiver role there from DJ Moore and has pretty good uh, statistics at the moment. And look, Jeffrey Simmons is actually having a pretty good year by PFF metrics and stuff like that. But uh, I think Robbie Anderson's worth a shout out there. You know, he's got 751 yards so far this season. So I think that's definitely worth respect. Very good. Sean, you've decided to hop in with... Yeah, I'm going for Kyler Murray. I mean, I don't know if it necessarily fully applies, given he's only a second year and his first year was, was decent, but he certainly seems to be improving significantly. And for me, in terms of the biggest improvement from last year to this year, he would be my pick in terms of that. No, no, perfect. Uh, offensive rookie of the year. Uh, me and Fitz both went with Burrow and we're sticking with Burrow. And John, you're hopping in with Justin Herbert. Like, kind of sets a theme yeah. here. These, like, kind of high-performing rookie quarterbacks, they're pretty much always going to walk away with this one, right? It's Yeah, it's close for me between Burrow and Herbert, but and, and both are having excellent seasons, and the offensive rookie is always probably going to be a quarterback if the quarterbacks are playing well. But for me, Herbert is the... He's getting more headlines. He's been more every week consistently. This kid is amazing, whereas Joe Burrow, I think, 
has a tendency sometimes in, in some games to not perform to his level. So I think mm -hmm. Herbert to just squeeze, just to kind of eat this one out, just a, just a little bit of, of current form. Oh yeah, let's start winning games though. Uh, <laughs> they just keep losing games. Say the same about Joe Burrow. To be hey, hey, hey! They got off the snide. He's won a game. Justin Herbert hasn't. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Like, I, I, this is the thing. Like, our two leaders are like, well, they've got one. They've got one win this season between them. Hasn't Herbert got one? Didn't Herbert win at least one of his games? I thought they lost all seven. of them. I thought he lost. Is it <laughs> six of seven? Was it? Oh, maybe, 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 maybe that's it. Uh, I don't know. But uh, fun times. Uh, defensive rookie of the year. Uh, I'm going to stick with my choice of Patrick Queen. Fitz, you had Chase Young. Are you sticking yeah. or something? I'm going to switch to Patrick Queen. Uh, I think there are like this isn't it isn't the category where necessarily there's a standout candidate thus far. Yeah. But I think Patrick Queen he's made a couple of really nice splash plays. He's on a better defense. And Chase Young he's he's missed a few games with injury. He has a couple of sacks, but uh, I think the 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 the, the difference between his expectation and his performance, the difference is too large for him to get the defensive rookie year at the moment. But he's the kind of guy who could have a really good uh, you know be really good down the stretch and get it. Uh, but uh, I'm going for Patrick Queen for now. Yeah. Sean, you've hopped in. You're joining Chase Young. Yeah, I, I won't lie to you. I looked up the odds uh, on, the, on <laughs> Chase Young is currently leading, so I thought I'd, I'd put my... Uh, very good, very good. Uh, defensive Player of the Year, I had Nick Bosa in this, and i got to swap out. Obviously, he's not been there the whole time. Uh, mm. I, I've got to go with... Uh, so you guys have gone for Aaron Donald, which I saw. I was going to go with Aaron Donald. I thought, no, I have to do something a bit different. Miles Garrett's been a beast for the Browns. Now, the problem mm. is it's how 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 relevant they stay to try and get him there but uh yeah like he's he's the only defensive player that the browns seem to have at the moment and uh yeah. he's, he's he's racking up numbers but yeah like aaron donald i can i can get entirely where you're coming from he is like the best defensive player which i suppose yeah. is what this uh, this <laughs> award should reflect but it's boring boring aaron donald's too boring but yeah like miles garrett has nine sacks aaron donald have nine sacks so yeah, look, either of them could end up in that kind of 20-sack area and uh, certainly uh, end up with the with the reward at the end of it. Yeah, uh, MVP, uh, me and you are sticking with Pat Mahomes. And Sean, you're coming in with Russell Wilson, you believe. Yeah, I mean, I think, I mean, MVP is always a very hard one to pick because it's, do you pick the players who's had the best season? Do you pick the player who's made the biggest impact for his mm. team? I think Mahomes, because he's a slightly lower level than he was last year, that might count against him in MVP voting, whereas Russell is having uh, a career year. And the fact that Wilson has never, he's never had an MVP vote, so I think it's going to make people more likely to actually vote for him this time mm. around, which might be enough to, to get him over. But both of uh, I mean, Mahomes is the most talented player in the league, but I think Wilson is having the best season. Mm -hmm. I would also put a shout in for my number two on this would probably be uh, Aaron Rodgers at the moment. I think he's got a good chance of, of coming in, particularly if they have a strong back half. Uh, fun fact for you, Fitz, I'm sure you're aware of this. Russell Wilson has not won a game since he trademarked Let Russ Cook. Yeah, well, look, it's... Uh... <laughs> It's an unfortunate. Like, look, like Russell Wilson. Like, if they make the playoffs or are a high seed, he will probably get it because he is literally carrying that entire team. But given the current issues and the strength of the NFC West, I could see them ending up like slipping into the wild card. And then I could see Pat Mahomes, who's an eight and one right now, getting it just because he's in the best team. 
Mm, we'll see, we'll see. Log Stampers, I think we're sticking. I'm sticking with Winchester Rifle. You're staying with Jonathan Weeks, right? Yeah, yeah. We'll, uh, we'll give the that, that requires a whole podcast again to fully. Yeah, like we'll do our deep dive special teams podcast later on. Uh, are not yeah, so I look forward to listening to it since I haven't a clue about it. <laughs> <laughs> it's fun, John. You basically just pick one and latch onto them for no good reason, and then fight viciously in for their corner. Um, yeah, we'll fly through some of the not so good awards. Worst DB. Uh, I had Josh Norman. Sean's going. Josh Norman. You're swapping to Trey Flowers. Yeah. Yeah, I think he's the representative of the historically bad Seattle defense, and he's been—he basically gives like 15 yards of cushion on every single defensive snap. So that's not great technique, as far as I know. So uh, Josh I'll Norman has still not returned from the shadow, uh, <laughs> yeah, from the shadow realm after getting stiff armed by Derek Henry yeah, several and, weeks ago. And shout out to Javer Rhodes, who I, I predicted early on the season he—he's actually doing pretty well in Indianapolis. So uh, he showed me wrong. Yeah, uh, Tom Kimball, most penalty yards. I left Darby Tunsil. I think that's going pretty well for me. Uh, Jedrick Wills is your new choice over Garrett Bowles. Yeah, like Garrett Bowles is actually having a pretty good year. It's another one where I was kind of caught in the hop. But uh, yeah, uh, Jedrick is, is one of the highest offensive linemen with these. And I usually go basically with that criteria. Sean, you're going, Tampa Bay, you're going Tampa Bay defense. Mm. Yeah, in joint first place. I think it's a team effort that they're really going for for most penalty yards in, in the history of football. So I'm, I'm Exciting times. For, for, for committing as a team to, to this noble venture. Uh, and our hype trade crash award is also a bit difficult. You need to, like it has to be something that's pumped up and then falls apart. So uh, I'm, I'm pretty happy with my own because I think we're teetering on an edge. We'll talk about it when we get to the games, but Tampa Bay. I'm like I'm not really ready to 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 throw Tampa Bay under the bus. I oh, think of course, of course. But this is the point of like uh, like the biggest crash has to come after you have to like you know it's on a roller coaster. You have to get all the way up to the top and then just teeter before it just collapses downwards. Yeah. And now a so team like, of I, I, old men going into the second half of a season when it starts to get cold. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> like I'm I'm go- obviously it's it like you know external factors play a lot here, but obviously the fact that the Dallas Cowboys even before they lost Dak were way worse especially on defense than we mm. expected. Um and now of course they're turning into a complete dumpster fire uh, pretty quickly even given their, you know, better than expected performance this week. I had Minshew Mania, that probably is a reasonable shout as well, but uh yeah, a lot of a lot of dumpster fires at the bottom end of the of the uh, no, of high trains lost this year. Sean yeah, so I'm basing this on kind of going back to the start of the season, thinking about who was being hyped and then yeah. where they are now. And so for me, it's the Cam slash the post-Brady Pats in their entirety. The idea that they would be a decent team has uh, crashed pretty significantly in the last four weeks. Um, as we'll talk about in the games. In fact, the game they won this week was actually probably more embarrassing than the losses they've been suffering for the past few weeks. Yeah, yeah, uh, that seems fair. Uh, low, low, low expectation awards. Most embarrassing moment we've all swapped to Antonio Brown coming back into the league and being on the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Uh, I had the prediction of a terrible Saturday night version of uh, Sunday night football or Monday night football. And you had when kneeling becomes controversial again. I, I think we got our Sean or Ronan. But I suppose we all have to admit, Antonio Brown being back in the league and presumably setting this thing on fire. Yeah, and it's not just that he's back, which is bad enough, given the huge 
rap sheet of things that he's done. But the fact that the team has been so, you know, obviously lying about the circumstances that led to it, that, oh, Tom Brady didn't do this. We we chose freely to do this, and it's all going to be great now. And like even if Antonio Brown turns out to be really good, which is very much possible, um, that actually might be worse, because that's just an indication that in the NFL, um, they'll literally let you do anything if you're good enough at football. Yeah, no, it's... Uh... It's a little bit grim, isn't it? Uh, <laughs> and finally, uh, we've got uh, you like that the worst quote of the year. Well done to uh, well done to the Texans. They decided to not fall into the trap that I thought they were going to. My prediction was we've decided to extend Bill O'Brien. Instead, they did the smart thing and they got rid of him. So uh, I have I have not decided to replace that. I'm going to just take the L on that. Uh, you had a pretty good one. Yeah, like I, I had like a joke that you know uh, Aaron Rodgers again. I love I love Jordan as I love my own family, <laughs> which he's certainly doing by keeping him on the bench and out of his life. But uh, like, look, like I, I don't think there's really been that kind of you like that type quote from the NFL this this year. No. Um, but you know, if there is, we'll obviously include it in the in the uh, postseason uh, review. Yeah, like I can't help but think that I'm sure behind closed doors, Pete Carroll has some interesting theories about coronavirus. Yeah, I'm sure, but uh, we'll leave it at that. Yeah, and uh, finally, dumpster fire of the year. Uh, I said Washington would be the worst, but I was going to give it to the Lions, and I'm pretty happy with that at the moment. I don't think the Lions are very good. Uh, you had for their talent level, they certainly are a dumpster fire. Yeah, yeah. I, I had the Jets. I'm going to stick it. Like I know we knew they were going to be bad, but they've they've exceeded expectations even. Even given yeah, that. they've been worse yeah. than we expected. And, uh, well, Sean has the correct answer to this, I think. Yes, the entire NFC East is uh, <laughs> one gigantic dumpster fire at this point. That is. And will be for a long time. Very, very true. Uh, surprise package team. Uh, so I had Cincinnati. I'm still liking them. I find them more entertaining. As the season goes on, I'm finding them more and more entertaining. But Fitz has the correct answer on this one. You went with Miami. Yeah, and I think they're they're ramping up right now. It feels like they're a team that could certainly uh, take a few scalps as they go down the stretch line. But uh, yeah, yeah two a two a time seems to be going pretty well. Yeah, uh, Sean, you got for an interesting one here, Carolina. I suppose no one was expecting yeah, anything out of them. Not necessarily to make the playoffs or anything, but I think they they look a lot better. They look like they've come together a, a lot as a team in the last few weeks, and I think they will take some scalps off teams down the road, especially since they are in a division where there's a lot of big teams. That they'll be facing. I think they'll, their number of surprise mm. results will come out of them. They probably won't break 500 because they're too far behind it, but I, I like where the Panthers are going. I think they will surprise people in the second half of the season. Excellent. AFC champion, uh, we're sticking with KC, and Sean, you're coming in, you're bringing in Pittsburgh with that strong defense and the undefeated record. Yeah, I just, I, I just not, I mean, the Chiefs have been playing fine, but I don't want to do the, the obvious choice and just think that they're going to win it by default. I think the Steelers, especially that defense, could do some damage, and it'll be a very good AFC Championship game. That's what it ended up being, but I could I could see the Steelers kind of squeaking it out. Yeah, uh, NFC champion. We've stuck with New Orleans, who are on an upswing. We'll obviously talk about that this in the game section. And John, you said Seattle. I've seen Seattle question mark. Um, I think it's really <laughs> hard to pick <laughs> to pick an NFC an NFC winner because they're all they're, there's like. Five or six good teams, but no great teams. My yeah. actual answer is that I, I think it's not going to be whoever the number one seed is. I think it's going to end up being a, a third or fourth or maybe even a kind of fifth seed. Whoever has the momentum in January, whoever gets a couple of big wins, mm. um, maybe early in, in the playoff rounds, will, will go on a run like, say, that the, the Giants did a decade ago. The Washington. Yeah, so I, I, 
It could be the FC's team. It, yeah, I can see like they 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 they, they 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 finish the season on four wins, like four straight wins to like seal their division, and then just like go on pure fire in the postseason. Yeah, and like there's only two wins between the the one seed and the seven seed right now. So yeah, the NFC is just a bit. It's hard to know what to think of the NFC right mm. now. And then uh, we've all gone for an AFC winner of the Super Bowl, so we're sticking with KC. And Sean, you're going with Pittsburgh, so uh, very handy. I think, as you said, it kind of represented like there seems to be a couple of kind of very, very high-end teams in AFC at the moment. And then there's good NFCs, but no one's kind of hit the, you know, go go and pedal to the metal just yet. But that could change uh, as momentum starts to swing. So I suppose we'll swing back and we'll have a look at the games from last week. Okay, so first up, Miami at Arizona, 34-31. to Zane Gonzalez kicked a 49-yard field goal to let Miami get the win uh, in a big back-and-forth match. Kyler Murray had a pretty decent day, three touchdowns, 100 yards on the ground, a touchdown. But there was a mistake still. Uh, Christian Kirk had a lovely game for himself. But Tua, after, you know, while winning last week, he won throwing for like 92 yards or something. He looked better here, 248 yards, two touchdowns. Um, like... Particularly, a lot of scrambling, a lot of getting out of collapsing pockets. Like it was, it was good to see. It definitely didn't look like it looks. Didn't look like a player who had had that serious uh, a hip and leg injury. He looked like he was ready to roll in this. And obviously, it was close, and it's a very big win for them, particularly on the road. Um, bit of a surprise for Arizona, who I think are proving every week that they're just more and more difficult to try and gauge where they sit in the ecosystem of the NFC. Yeah, like it, it's really hard to place them. Obviously, they had that uh, big win against Seattle recently. And obviously, they were in this game all the way. This was a very much a back-and-forth game, um, which came down to that missed St. Gonzalez kick. Like, this is a, a situation where, you know, on the other side, Sanders, the, the kicker for the Dolphins, is perfect this year. So that actually ended up being the big difference here. Um, and yeah, Kyler's just, he's so, uh, you know, the, the word is enigmatic. He, he's very hard to read. Like he had a fumble in this game that went for a touchdown for the Miami defense, but you still see a few rainbow balls to Christian Kirk, which were absolutely, lo- like absolutely beautiful. Um, and as the year has gone on, he seems to have kind of kicked the, feed DeAndre Hopkins every single pass habit, at least against teams that play uh, zone. Uh, if you play man against him, he will throw to DeAndre Hopkins, uh, so don't play man, probably. Um, but I do think he is on a team which has, like, there are flaws on that team. I think the defense is probably overperformed versus expectations, but the run game with, with, with Kenyon Drake out, they relied on Chase Edmonds. He didn't really have a great game, to be honest. Uh, in, in a featured role, he just looks like a kind of complimentary back forced into a role that he's not, he's not ready for. And so Kyler Murray ended up having to be the entire rush offense as well as the entire pass offense. And uh, yeah, it's just a situation where Arizona, they're, they're kind of like, you kind of put them at a maybe a 10 and 16, but they have these moments of extreme brilliance that makes you think that maybe they could take that leap and become a, you know, 13 type win team. Mm. But uh, yeah, the consistency just isn't there. It's very much like Cliff Kingsbury was in college, like lots of explosiveness, but not necessarily the reliability. And on Miami, you see maybe a coach and a team and and an organization where consistency is more highly valued. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, for me, this was a kind of a fun shootout, two exciting young quarterbacks and having the kind of games exciting young quarterbacks would have, high moments, but also some errors. Um, I thought Kyler, um, he, he was good, especially on the ground. I think, and I'm open to correction of this, I think this might be the first time that any quarterback in NFL history has both thrown and run uh, in three figures in terms of yardage. 
Um, so that's, I mean, that's quite an achievement too. Yeah. Definitely better than last week. He had some nice throws. Looks like, I mean, I accept that if this is, this is what they were looking at in training. I can understand why the Dolphins went, well, we can do better than, than Fitzpatrick, I suppose. Um, even though I still think that the mediocre white man has been screwed over uh, yet again. So, <laughs> so interesting things. I mean, yeah. I think the Cardinals' defense is going to be a real um, a diff- kind of a liability for them down the stretch. They, they don't seem to be able to stop teams from scoring all that much, which could be a problem. But both these teams look interesting. And the Dolphins are very much in their division right now. They're only, I think, a game and a half behind the, the Bills, mm. who don't look world- like world beaters. Um, so you never know. The Dolphins could could take the AFC East. Um, yeah, no. Um, I think they're very much in the hunt. Still some excitement to be had in that. And yeah, they do look quite frisky. And that was the thing that came out of Miami. They said the decision they made wasn't for next year to see what they have with with, uh, with 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 Tua, but actually for this year because they felt that they were actually well positioned. Uh, so it is very interesting. Next up, Vegas at the Chargers, thirty-one to twenty-six. Ah, oh, Chargers, can you ever get out of your own way? Um, yeah. So their catch was overturned on the last play, and it was a correct call. Herbert looked good over three hundred yards and two touchdowns, and Allen went off for over a hundred yards and a touchdown. But uh, it was the run game for Vegas, 160 yards on the ground. Derek Carr looked okay, uh, although I will say he looked phenomenal when he went flying through the air to go dive for a first down. Uh, yeah. He he was properly just going for it a little bit, which was uh, was good crack to see. But yeah, like look, it was it was a good kind of division match between two teams, but neither of them looked, you know looked like serious contenders in this game. Vegas probably looked like they were more built for the longer term of like being able to lean on that running game and be able to kind of put away them at the tail end. But yeah, like this is again, another loss that I feel is as much on the chargers as it is on their opponents, if not more. Yeah. I mean, I think the the situation here is Herbert is, he is the future of this franchise he looks like a real star. It is important now that the, the, the kind of management takes a look at how to build a team around him. And I think they need to think of it as a long-term thing. I mean, the Chargers have, not only do they have a, a kind of a, a talent pool that isn't of the highest quality, they have a culture where they keep losing games, um, either by collapses or, or by narrow defeats. So I think the Chargers could, in five years' time, if they build around Herbert, could be Super Bowl contenders, but it's going to require an awful lot of work. Um, on the other side, the Raiders. I mean, they look solid and reliable. Um, I think they'll they'll be a good playoff team, but they won't they won't go too far in the playoffs. I did think Derek Carr had a good game, particularly in terms of the the long throws. He showed that he is capable mm-hmm. of delivering all these long, long passes when he's willing to take the risk. It's just he doesn't seem to be willing to take the risk um, often enough. So in the short term, the Raiders look like the better team, but in the long term, I think the Chargers have the better prospect. In yeah. terms of the kind of the franchise quarterback. Yeah, but potential isn't everything. Like uh, to quote Glengarry Glen Ross, coffee is for closers and wins are for closers <laughs> too. And the Chargers are a loser team and they're going to get nothing. They're going to get kicked out of the job and the nice car is going to go to the Vegas at the end of this season because they've won games when they're ahead. Like the last game against the Cleveland Browns, close nail biter, they kicked it out in the end. Kansas City, Mahomes trying to come back in a Fast and Furious, close it out. That's a really important skill to have. Yes, it means that when you get into the playoffs, maybe one of these really exciting teams will, will blow you out. But in these close games that you need to get into the playoffs in the first place and have a shot, this is the skill that you need to have, and the Chargers lack it completely under their head, current head coach. Yeah, they probably John, need to look at that. 
And so like the Vegas brand may not be all as exciting as some of these amazing offenses that we're seeing, including in the Chargers, but they have a formula that works, that wins games and gets them the job, gets the job done. And uh, that's all they need to do if they want to make that probably wildcard uh, situation in the AFC. Yeah, nice workmanlike sixth seed performance there. Uh, Carolina, Kansas City, 31-33. to This was actually a far friskier game than we probably expected going in. Casey beat out a feisty Carolina team as Christian McCaffrey came back and landed onto the scene for 150-plus yards and two touchdowns. Uh, Mahomes was great, 370 yards, three touchdowns. Kelsey and Hill, both over 100 yards. Teddy had two touchdowns. He had a great kind of bit of grit. He like scrambled for a 14-yarder and then ran in another touchdown. Uh, but again, his passing is very short to intermediate. Their defense was okay, but was giving up too much. Uh, like... Again, to be honest, at certain points, it kind of felt like Carolina should have won this. Kansas City's defense in particular were giving too much space to McCaffrey. Uh, and they were blitzing a lot without really considering the exit options and the yards after catch potential that some of the players on that team have. But look, it's another win for KC. Carolina did some great things as well. Like They went for it every step of the way. They had a number of fourth down attempts. They had fake punts. They had everything. Like they pulled out all the stops, and it was so much more exciting than I was expecting it to be. Uh, it was a great game out of Carolina, but I don't think it's a standard of this is how they'll play every other week. Yeah, and I think like that that that's kind of maybe Matt Rule and Joe Brady carrying that kind of like we, we kind of, when you had those two guys, you were kind of expecting an offense that maybe could pre, could jump out and be really exciting, um, and they're kind of showing that a bit. And fair play to Teddy, he is playing his heart out. He is mm. like taking some massive beatings for someone who nearly had a career ended uh, in an awful a collision. Um, and yeah, but I think you know you you pinpointed the problem there. He doesn't he just isn't great with the deep ball like short intermediate great but for deep for the long catches that they have in the season they're nearly all yards after the catch and i think the fact that in this game they went for like the 65 plus field goal to try and win it with joey sly rather than on a hail mary is kind of i don't want to say damning but gives you an idea of where they see the strengths of this team in that kind of like situation look like you know if it was on this other situation but if it was the kansas city chiefs needing a like needing points at the end they might have like in that situation they would have put it in Pat Mahomes hand and gone for the Hail Mary in my opinion uh, even with a good kicker and, and I think that's kind of the difference here like CMC came back and had a really good game he does make Carolina a lot more exciting but yeah I think Carolina yeah as Sean kind of pointed out earlier in the in the in the pre in the predictions they're a lot better than we expect but there's just too many holes in this roster to make them a true contender yet but they're building something here in Carolina certainly mm. I, think, I mean I think it's a little harsh here to to blame the Teddy Bridgewater's deficiencies on why they went for the kick. I think in, in the analyst, I mean, you're a stats guy, Ron. I think, I mean, admittedly, there aren't too many stats on successful 67-yard field goals because no one tries them. But we know that the kickers, I mean, the, the top kickers in the NFL can kick 70 yards if they wanted to. They just don't seem to ever get the opportunity in game time. Versus, say, a 50-yard Hail Mary. I mean, how often do they succeed? I actually think if, if the... You did some sort of kind of deep analytics. Uh, most teams under most quarterbacks, not Mahomes, but certainly most teams under most quarterbacks would be better off kicking a field goal um, from a, from that distance than throwing a Hail Mary in that situation. Um, so, I, I mean, I think that's a, that's a little bit unfair to put that on. Oh, that obviously means that, that Teddy is not, um, not up to it in terms of that. I mean, I, this is the game that kind of gives me that kind of sense that 
that Carolina are. And they've been looking the past few weeks. They've been getting the pieces together. McCaffrey, I mean, again, he's, he's out for, for a period. But with him in the team, they look very exciting. They, they look like it's getting together. I think the coaching is quite good. The, the shame for the Panthers is the season is basically over already. They're like two and five or two and six and something else. So they're not going to get anywhere, especially when they have two very strong teams in their division. For the Chiefs, I mean, they, they look vulnerable. This is the third or fourth game where they played a team that they should have been beating comfortably and didn't. Um, that they, they are not quite at that level of, of two years ago, uh, yet they're coasting maybe a little bit on, on the talent, relying on Mahomes to pull things out when, when things get dicey. Certainly, um, I mean, Connor, you can speak more to this than I do, the, d- the defensive weaknesses must be worrying at this point. This team is giving up a lot of points, and if you're talking about kind of playoff time, you need a defense that is going to be able to keep it tight when necessary. I don't think you can rely on the Chiefs as, as much as they can score 50 points in a playoff game. I don't think that they should be relying on doing that for, say, three playoff games in a row to, to retain the, uh, the ground. Yeah, like there's some there's some issues there. Like there tends to be a kind of a betting in later on in the season uh, for the for the defense and how it goes like that was how it ran last season as well like in terms of we tend to be a lot more of the yardage giving up than the points giving up i'm just trying to see it here like we're currently seventh in the league on points allowed every game but we allow a lot of yardage um now that probably is slightly skewed by the fact we got to play the jets but (laughs) i won't put it all that like there's some scheme problems in it they allow a lot of checkdowns to defensive backs and like the thing is yes Carolina were in this game but to be in this game they had to go for it on fourth down three four five times they had to pull fake punts they had to complete fourth and 16s and stuff that like look yeah they they, they got them there but I don't think I think we play a lot harder on them in, in in different game situations than on a random kind of week nine game but yeah like I, I would expect to see defense tighten up a bit later on the season Things like the rookie linebacker, Willie Gay, is now starting to grade up an awful lot better. The linebackers are really the main weakness at the moment. Uh, But yeah, look, we'll see how it goes. Um, Next up, we have Pittsburgh at Dallas, 24 to 19. Uh, Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh. Uh, They did not look great in this game. Dallas are probably the worst team in this in the league this year and Pittsburgh were losing to them somehow. Uh, they scored 15 late to overcome a 10 point deficit before Texans or sorry, the, 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 the Cowboys fell short at the end. Um, yeah, the run game looked a bit better for them. 144 yards. Uh, the defense was a little bit better. Ben Rotherigger still managed three touchdowns. He still was able to bail them out late in the game. Like it was sloppy, but you know, I'll put it this way. I, I always expect I get a down game or two from teams uh, this uh, every year, even the top-end teams. But like that, to win by five against probably the worst team in the league and being behind for most of the time isn't isn't a great look. No, I mean, it's I don't know what to be more surprised of in this game. The fact that the Dallas, Dallas defense finally turned up in week nine after being missing <laughs> for the first eight weeks. Um, or the fact that the Steelers struggled so much to, to beat them. I mean, the the Steelers' defense really should have done a number on the Dallas offense, and yet we saw that, that Gilbert had a you know a pretty decent game, and they were competitive. The run game did quite well um, as well. So Dallas were competitive on the side of the ball that you wouldn't think they would be, and their defense was able to hold. I mean, we can see this a little bit in the Steelers in the past few weeks. Their offense 
their defense is the is where the stars are. The offense just does enough to win games, mm-hmm. um, and you would worry about that in in kind of tougher games down the stretch. Um, can we write this off as an aberration? Maybe does it point to some things that will worry the the Steelers' backroom staff in the coming weeks? Um, definitely. Um, this is a game people were talking about the, the Steelers putting up 50 points or something in this game, and, and to have to end up in just scraping out the win. Um, I think I think the, the, the Steelers' management is good enough to, to not write this off as, as an aberration and still to say, no, we need to figure out what went wrong here because we can't have a performance like this um, against any other team um, for the remainder of the season. Yeah, and Pittsburgh are, are especially prone to, to these. Like, this is the first time they're undefeated. It's because they tend to have games like this. And to be fair, the Dallas, like, they, they're getting their defensive players back, like Leighton Van Der Esch and Jalen Smith. I think they're making a big difference. And I think the fact that they jettisoned those overpaid, like, veterans, like Poe, and they're bringing people like Gallimore, who played quite well in this game, kind of gives you an idea that maybe that defense can go from being, you know, you know, absolutely terrible to being, you know, about where we expect it to be, which is, like, decent. Um, and, like, maybe as long as they have somewhat functional quarterback play from a Gilbert or a Dalton, they can get a win or two. And in the NFC East, as we always say, that may be enough to be relevant. New England at the Jets, 30-27. to 27, uh, Yeah, they came close, but they weren't able to break this kind of, like, 30- or 40-year stream of losses against New England. Uh, New England overcome a 10-point fourth-quarter deficit to win the walk-off field goal. Cam looked good, two rushing touchdowns. The receiver, Myers, had a very big day. Flacco looked well better than the last couple of starts he had, anyway. Uh, not quite elite, like elite dragon-level Joe Flacco, but three touchdowns, 260 yards. Uh, but look... It's probably a positive for the Jets that they lose as much as they would like to get a win because uh, it means that they might still be in the hunt for like another first-round quarterback to try and save their franchise, even though everything around it is just pure fire. New England look a bit healthier, but again, this is a Jets team, and it was a fourth-quarter 10-point te- deficit that you were dealing with. Like, It's not a great look for them easier either. But it's a, ni- a ni- nice look to have the wide receiver Myers doing okay, yeah? So, yeah, I mean, there's just so much to talk about this game, and I, I'll try and be brief. I, I think I want to be angry, but more that I'm just sad, because I think this, more than anything else, marks just how far the, far the Pats um, have fallen. This was a very poor performance against a very poor team, and they were very, very lucky um, to get out uh, in time. Um, I mean, the fact that the worrying thing for me is, is the defensive side, right? The offensive side, obviously, it's been quite disrupted and Cam isn't quite fitting into the system as well, although he had probably his best game numbers-wise um, um, this week. It's the defense. It's the defense that was the kind of elite world-beater, kind of um, unbelievable kind of groundbreaking stats from two years ago is now a defense that is allowing the New York Jets, the 2020 Adam Gase New York Jets, to score on five out of eight possessions. I mean, that's just that's just embarrassing. Um, so, I mean, the, the Pats pull out the win simply because, in the end, that they made a couple of important plays when it mattered. Burkhead and, and Harris managed to plow through the second half. They eventually decided to just focus on the run and just plow through and the Jets, and that was ultimately enough. The worrying thing for me now is that this kind of gives a demonstration of just how far the Pats' rebuild is going to have to go. And then the question becomes, does Bill Belichick actually have the time or the patience for a kind of a three-, four-, five-year rebuild? Does he want to do that at age, whatever, 68, I think he is? Yeah. Is it maybe time for him to, to, to walk off in, into the sun? 
I mean, I know, I know he probably wants the the all time all time coaching winning record, but he's a good fifty games behind Don Shula, which I thought would take about five seasons. But if they're if they're playing like this, yeah, it'll take, take a, a, a few more. 15. So I mean, this 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 more than let's say that the game two weeks ago in which they were annihilated by the Niners. This game represents, I think, the end of an era. This is when you know the game is up and this team needs a significant um, rebuild. Um, yeah, it was just it was very very depressing to watch. Yeah, tough times, tough times ahead. Uh, the Giants at Washington, twenty-three to twenty. This was not a fantastic game, but it's very playoff relevant. The Giants defense shows up with two sacks, three interceptions, and two forced fumbles. Uh, they beat up on poor Alex Smith, who uh, had to step in after the broken ankle of Allen Smith had over three hundred yards and a touchdown, but he also threw three interceptions, one of which ended the game. Danny Dimes was boring as all hell, as is probably standard at this point for this year. 200 yards and a touchdown. He got hit a lot, five sacks, but look, it was fine. This game was all kinds of sloppy. It was the embodiment of the NFCs. There was fumbles. There was missed flea flickers. There was just stupid decision-making and terrible plays from both sides. Giants probably deserved the win in the end because of their defense being the best group in this but uh neither of these teams deserved a win really yeah like this isn't exactly a great advertisement for the uh division and of either of these being really relevant but like look that like i've been saying for a few weeks the giants d is underrated and they obviously had a really good game here um where they had obviously five turnovers um so that's really good sign for them um and danny dimes didn't turn the ball over which is also very good like you say he's boring but i'd much rather have boring danny dimes than like five turnover danny dimes um which he's certainly been capable of in the past um he got sacked a lot so it wasn't the case that he was dominating that defensive line but look he just needs to cut out the mistakes let this defense do its work and make them a not completely embarrassing team um but i think the fact that you know like they had to get that pick you know they had to get two picks laid on to close out this game is an indication of where that offense is right now which is to say not very much not very much aware anywhere at all and look alex smith had moments but yeah just a few decisions that went really wrong uh, and just a few a number of plays where you kind of felt like the the players just weren't on the same page as him where they they, they just didn't know what he was going to do and that ended up being a big issue and yeah i think mm-hmm. if you want an indication of how much of an nfc's game there is was the uh, fumble by antonio gibson the washington running back where it squirted out and then like 10 different players had a chance to get it but it just kept flipping around randomly for like what felt like a minute before the the, the giants finally fell on it it was just a ridiculous play and uh, very much a representative of what the nfc easter is right now a fucking climate yeah. show no of course new orleans at tampa bay this has been one-sided 38 to 3 in solidarity with the patriots collapse tom brady's decided to collapse <laughs> as well uh james came out uh behind breeze for the press conference to eat another w because you know that's that that's what he wants to be known as uh tom had 200 yards and three interceptions the run game went nowhere 1.3 yards a carry and the defense only got one sack and allowed over 400 yards breeze just looked happy to have all his weapons back he had four touchdowns 222 yards i think there were what, 28 nothing up at the halftime um yeah Taysom hill even came in and started throwing on some extra yardage i think he went for over 100 in the end it was a, a very one-sided operation here, Sean. Yeah, surprising. But I, I think I think the way to understand this game is is the, is a kind of a coaching a difference in the coaching. So that the the Tampa Bay 
they had a very interesting defensive plan. Their their plan was Breeze can't throw long anymore, so we're gonna we're gonna pull up um, our, our secondary closer and dare him to throw long passes. The result of it was that Breeze demonstrated he actually could throw long passes. He threw seven out of eight mm, passes long for longer than ten yards. Is it is it uh, is it kind of Rocky three area where he actually learns to fight right handed so he can like surprise them? <laughs> well, well, Breeze always used to have the skill. It's, it's almost like old Rocky coming back and realizing that he still has the... Oh, right, yeah. ...in the end. Um, so the, the, the Tampa Bay secondary had a very poor game because they were constantly being caught out of position by these long throws in behind them. Um, on the other side, the, the Saints defense did a very good job of stifling the, the Tampa offense. The, the, the pressure, again, the, the key to crypt, the kryptonite against Tom Brady is... Pressure to the middle, they, they worked on that an awful lot. Tampa Bay made a very strange decision to, to focus on the pass from the very beginning. Even before they were down by a big margin, they were going very pass-heavy, which was not, I think, um, a good idea. Brady made some very poor decisions, um, none perhaps more poor than the decision to convince Bruce Arians um, to take on Antonio Brown. Um, Brown had one good catch, but he was also responsible for one of the interceptions, completely screwing up his um, the path of his, um, of his run. Um, so that Brady threw to where he should have been uh, and the defender was still there instead. So I think a lot, back to the drawing board for Tampa Bay in certain ways, this has shown that their coaching may not be able to keep up with the talent they have at their disposal. On the other side, the Saints finally produced the performance that they've been threatening to produce since the very beginning and that I've called them on on this podcast for not living up to. And just as I finally write them off, they go and destroy their division rivals by 35 <laughs> points. So uh, good job, good job, Drew um, and, and Sean. Thank you. You've shown me up for sure. No, of course. Uh, Chicago, Tennessee, 70-24. to 24. Sean, give me a quick synopsis of this one. Yeah, so I think it's time to fight for me to finally get off the, the Bears' hype train. Um, their defense is decent, but their offense is so bad. This was one of the worst offensive performances I think I've seen in a very long time. They got 17 points, largely because the Titans stopped defending um, in the fourth quarter. They, they were... They were looking at the donut for a very long time. I think they got three points in the first three quarters. They just never mm. really went anywhere. Their run offense was bad to, to non-existence. Um, they relied an awful lot in the past, which means that in the end, Folds has some decent numbers, at least in terms um, of kind of yardage, about 335 yards total, but, but none of that was at all meaningful. The defense did a decent job of stifling Henry for a while, um, but, but he did end up kind of getting... Um, some yardage uh, near on. Tannehill had a pretty decent game. A.J. Brown had a fantastic touchdown catch, which kind of turned the game um, completely. And the Titans' defense were very big. They caused two kind of momentum-killing fumble recovery turnovers when the when the Bears were looking like they were going somewhere. So I think this game has kind of solidified the Titans' claim to be a kind of an elite team that deserves to be in the conversation for, for the later rounds of the playoffs. And it's shown us that the Bears... Rather than being, say, the 10 and 16 that I thought may end up somewhere mm-hmm. more around the 8 and 8 mark, their schedule is a little weak in the back end, so they might end up still in, getting the kind of nine uh, wins or so. Um, but but yeah, I'm kind of I'm off the Bears the Bears hype train now. I, I Nick Foles is just not the answer to this team um, at all. No, of course, Seattle at Buffalo, 33 to 44. Uh, Fitz, how did your boys do here? Not great. 
Yeah, the defense got obliterated by Josh Allen, who had over 400 yards, four touchdowns. He had interception. They, they, they sacked him seven times, but that's because they blitzed over 50% of the time. And basically everyone in the football cognoscenti after the game was basically like, why did you blitz Josh Allen? He's bad against zone defense. Uh, especially when like Jamal Adams and Quinton Dunbar, two other defensive backs, are both playing a bit hurt right now, which doesn't help if they're in man. Um, so it just felt like a complete mistake by their defensive coordinator ken norton jr who's already under a lot of pressure considering they're a historically bad defense but this was just awful and on the other side buffalo they got pressure on russell like he still had over 390 yards and three touchdowns but they got four turnovers at him they were obviously very much focused on, on kind of taking away those deep shots as much as possible um and yeah the hole that the, the defense left him in meant that russ was playing in desperation mode basically from the first quarter onwards so look for seattle this was a pretty comprehensive back-breaking defeat and the fact that they gave up like thirds and 20s thirds and 30 type plays on the defense is just indicative of how bad this game was for Seattle they have to go back to the drawing board on defense or fire their defensive coordinator because right now this was an absolute embarrassment yeah not a not a great one for them Baltimore at Indianapolis 24 to 10 look nothing happened in the first half of this it was 7 to 10 and then Baltimore just came out and started doing it proper uh yeah, like Rivers, 220 yards and an interception. Lamar had a touchdown, 200 yards as well. But like, unimpressive from both teams. Indianapolis showing that they are just not of the standard that they want to be to be competitors. You can also see that there's definitely problems with Rivers and that, you know, they don't want to be tied to him for any length of time because uh, I think it's only going to get worse as the season peels on. Baltimore, he got a win, but... Not in any way convincing, I would say. Uh, Green Bay at San Francisco, 34-17. to 17. This was a bit of an injury bowl. It was kind of a foregone yeah. conclusion nearly going in, right, Ronan? Yeah, Thursday night football. San Francisco were missing a bunch of players through injury, as we know, of course, but also had a bunch of players missing through the COVID protocols because this was Thursday night football and didn't have the requisite five days after the uh, positive test from Kendrick Bourne. So, yeah, they had no running backs and no wide receivers, no defensive line. And Aaron Rodgers rocked up and went, hey, I'll just throw it to like my only target, uh, Devontae Adams, and get 170 of my 300 yards to him. Um, and the defense basically feasted on what's left of the San Francisco offense. They, they had two turnovers, and it was like three points for San Francisco coming into the fourth. Like Mullins got some garbage point point garbage time points, but overall uh, a complete uh, domination here against a team in San Francisco that's just reeling from all the losses right now. No, of course, Houston and Jacksonville played it close, twenty-seven to twenty-five, but Houston eked it out, Sean. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if either of these teams actually deserve to win this game, but uh, that's fair. Um, I mean, Sean not an awful lot to say about uh, not an awful lot to, to say about this game, other than perhaps to say it's really sad to see someone of Deshaun Watson's talent playing in a game of no consequence like this. He was carrying the, the Texans and all around. It looked like a kind of a, a some a, everyone else had won a contest to play with Deshaun Watson, and <laughs> he was he was that much better than everyone else. The other highlight, I suppose, was was uh, Jake Luton having a, a big throw at the beginning and, and then almost pulling out the, the 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 tie at the end. I guess we can move away from Minshew mania towards Luton sanity um, and. and <laughs> Uh, like in terms it's, of that, it's Luton season. Yeah, Jackson, Jackson, Jacksonville are terrible, and the the Texans are not much better. But they do have Deshaun Watson, and that probably was a difference in this game. Yeah, Luton Dev and shooting. I feel that's a better one. Oh, that's pretty good. <laughs> uh, Denver, Atlanta, twenty-seven to thirty-four. Uh, Denver came close enough in this one, but Atlanta 
you know, they, 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 they started to do pretty well towards the back end. Uh, yeah, like Ryan, three touchdowns, nearly 300 yards and an interception. Locke, similar, 360, three touchdowns and an interception, but it was quite late that they came back into it. Um, Atlanta are a hard one to peg now because realistically, if it wasn't for Todd Gurney making a ball to that, you know, actually scoring a touchdown for them to lose a game, like, they would be on a, what, a four-game winning streak now? Like, this is... Mm surprising uh again look this denver team weren't really up to much anything early on we need to see them against a little bit more competition but uh yeah atlanta looking surprisingly frisky the the continuing cycle of atlanta collapsing waiting until it's completely pointless looking good enough so nothing changes and then starting the exact same season the same way the following year seems to be rolling on well detroit at minnesota 20 to 34 delvin cook does it again run yeah basically delvin cook shows up gets over 250 yards and two touchdowns and Kirk Cousins shows up and it's like oh it's pretty easy in the red zone when they're all like doing like 10-man boxes I'll just throw to my tight end there uh so yeah like Detroit like they they had the COVID situation Stafford didn't practice all week but he just looked poor he threw an interception after they got a turnover that, that basically ended the game and ended up being injured and, and Chase Daniel came in late so look Detroit just looked like an overall below average to a best average team and Minnesota are also an average team but they have Dalvin Cook and he just wants to win games by himself right now and uh, is very much succeeding so if he does this against you there's a good chance he'll win uh, even though the rest of the team's bad Mm. I suppose with that we'll move on and look at the games for next week Okay, first up Indianapolis at Tennessee Uh, we're all taking Tennessee in this one Thursday Night Football Pick the team that is Derek Henry are at home and are playing Philip Rivers. Yeah, like I think Tennessee, we just have they're more exciting, they're more interesting. They're a team that has flashed kind of that upside in the, play, the playoffs last year, but also this year. Whereas Indianapolis just feel like a nine and seven team and the worst type of nine and seven team. They they show up. They're solid. They got a pretty good defense, especially now that Darius Leonard's kind of showing that he's the, the Jenga piece in that defense. They look so much better since he's come back. Um, but you just want Tennessee to win. And I think given their overall quality and ability to win in more situations, you would expect them to do it. Especially if that difference that we saw in their defense last week where they kind of held Chicago in check. I know Chicago aren't a great offense, but they held them in check. That If they've got that defense back to being okay, then yeah, Tennessee should be very high favorites, to be honest, in this game. Yeah. Houston, go ahead. Yeah, no, I I mean, I think it's important to to highlight this is quite an important divisional game. This basically will help decide who wins the AFC South. The the Colts, despite having a pretty mediocre season, are actually only a game behind the Titans, who are having a very good season, which just goes to show in the NFL um, that performance and results can often diverge quite significantly. But yeah, the Titans, if they want to be taking the serious playoff team, um, as they've been looking like, for most of the past few weeks, then they should be comfortable enough in winning this one, I would say. Now, of course, Houston at Cleveland, we've all gone for Cleveland. Look, as discussed there earlier, Houston have the best quarterback, but the rest of the team is kind of in free flow down, like no one knows what's happening. Cleveland, I think, are coming off a bye. They've played pretty well. Their offense has been ticking over nicely. And Miles Garrett, as we discussed earlier, is uh, trying to push for that Defensive Player of the Year award for me. So uh, Cleveland to do it at home, yeah? Yeah, and we know the Cleveland template. It's run the ball. And big news is, of course, that Nick Chubb is coming off IR. Um, So that's a... He's obviously just such a dynamic running back. Uh, The kind of 
like the the thunder or the light well, I don't know the thunder to, to, to the cream hunts lightning like that's a, just a huge huge effect there like if if they can get him going chubb going uh against houston which is very possible because their run defense is pretty bad at houston then i don't see this being a close game but uh with the shot watson you never you can never dismiss them completely but uh i'll give the advantage to cleveland for now with chubb back yeah, uh, Washington at Detroit. Uh, I've gone for Detroit. Fitz has gone for Detroit. Sean's gone for Washington. I was half going for Washington. This this game is awful. Don't watch it. Uh, yeah, Alex Smith, hopefully with a week of practice under his belt, expecting the start will be better. But Detroit, they have some quality players on the team. But this is a terrible game and don't watch it. Tampa Bay, Carolina. Uh, who wants to give us a quick synopsis of that? Um, so yeah, this is. I mean, when I was highlighting Carolina's potential to to kind of shake teams up, this actually is a good example of the kind of game where they're going to, to make an impact. Even though um, I've picked Tampa Bay and Fizzle has picked Tampa Bay and Connor's picked Carolina, I think it will be a close game. I picked Tampa Bay largely because I think there's going to be a reaction. I think Brady is going to be very mad, and we see week by week he's slowly taking this team over. And I think eventually he, he will get to the point where he is completely running the team um, top to bottom. And so I think this is the kind of game where, where Tom Brady says, we have to win this game. And even though Ed Caroline will look exciting, but missing McCaffrey as well is going to hurt them on the offensive end. So I can see Tampa Bay kind of the backlash here, giving them a, a, an what could end up being quite an important division away. Yeah, uh, me. Uh, I, I, I'd be looking forward to that one. I think it'll be good. Philly at the Giants. Uh, gosh. It's <laughs> important, Connor. You can't just ignore it. But it's going to uh, be you... terrible. It's going to be terrible. Philadelphia are going to win, I think. The Giants probably like, have a chance. Sean's gone for the Giants. Look, Philly have been playing a bit better of late. This is going yeah. to be terrible. Don't watch this football game. Like, that's all you need better. to know. <laughs> Last time I saw Philly, I, I they mean, were tanking bad, to be honest. So, I mean, I think Philly are the better team here, but I, when I was watching the Washington Giants highlights, I decided I was just done with the NFC East as a division, and now I'm willing for them to get the lowest possible points to win total <laughs> for the uh, division winner. So from now on, all of my predictions are going to be aimed towards it. I, I think we need to rebalance here. Philly have gotten three wins. They've gotten a bit too big for their boots. They need to be brought down back to earth. Um, by the Giants. I think if they work really hard this division, they could get a four-win um, division winner out of, out of this if they, if they try really hard and collaborate. And these are the kind of games where they need to work hard at that. Okay, very good. Jacksonville at Green Bay. Uh, we've all got for Green Bay running. Yeah, it's pretty obvious. Aaron Rodgers has another easy defense to feast upon. And look, Jacksonville probably will get some points, but uh, yeah, certainly nowhere near enough to beat Green Bay. Green Bay prohibitive favorites here. Yeah, uh, Buffalo at Arizona. This is Sean's pick of the week. We've all gone for Buffalo. Yeah, so I mean, I think it's it's interesting. We got again two young quarterbacks. There's a lot of good young quarterbacks in the league at the moment. This is another look at it. Buffalo have bounced back last week from a kind of a, a month of mediocrity to pull off a very big win. Now the question is, can they keep consistency? They've got to. They're going to have to try and keep ahead of the Dolphins, who I think are going to push them a lot further than we thought. Um, and so these are the kind of games that Buffalo needs to be winning. And I think they will eke it out because the, the Cardinals defense isn't that strong. On the other side, I mean, we get to see Kyler Murray do his stuff um, again. I think it's going to be exciting and high scoring. And again, it's another good game that gives us an indication of where these two teams are at because um, we've already talked about how we just don't know the, the level of the Cardinals and the fact that they probably will be competitive against the Bills gives a demonstration of that. But similar, we don't fully know where the Bills are at either. And this would be a good game to give us a test of that as well. 
Yeah, very good. Uh, we've got Chargers at Miami. This should be an entertaining one. Two young quarterbacks going at it. Uh, two decent offenses going at it. And two defenses that have been performing. Miami's defense have been overperforming their talent level. And the Chargers have a high talent level. So uh, it should, in paper, be a very, very exciting matchup. I think either way we should get some exciting plays off it. Um, yeah, we've all gone yeah. for Miami in it. Uh, I think it's just because... We just see the Chargers as being so snake bit at this point that like anything that's a game, they definitely can't win, right? Yeah, and it's kind of a weird one because like you know the, the the two quarterbacks. Obviously, we've seen much less of Tua, but even based on what we've seen so far, they're very different types of quarterback. Like we kind of expected based on the college tape that uh, you know Herbert might be a bit conservative, but they've really unleashed him. He's doing a lot of deep shots. Mike Williams is getting more involved as the weeks go on, and Keenan Allen's getting fed a lot of targets. Um, so that's a very explosive offense, whereas Miami, there was a few plays that went, oh, okay, that's interesting, that's explosive. But what you're actually seeing from Tua seems to be almost like a breeze-type offense where he's spreading the ball around. He's like, you know, does his reads quickly, gets it into tight windows, and also has the kind of escapability that he can do the kind of Kyler Murray, Russell Wilson type stuff. So I think these are kind of two really exciting young prospects, um, but have different, very different styles and obviously look very different. Like Herbert's a, a giant of a man with a big arm, too, as more of a smaller guy, um, but with a decent arm as well. So it's it'll be really interesting to see what these two guys, as they seem to be heating up and getting better as the year goes on. No, of course. Denver at Vegas. I've gone for Denver, and you guys have gone for Vegas. Uh, give us a quick look at this, Sean. Yeah, I, I think Vegas just have a little bit more about them. As, as I said when I was talking about the, the, the game reviews, they, they look solid and reliable. They look like they know what they are at. I mean, Carr is unspectacular, but can do enough. On the other side, Denver, I mean, they just they just don't look like a very good team. Um, certainly the, in the quarterback position, they don't have any real strengths, and, and the rest of the team, I mean, the running, position, running backs, they have some strengths. But I think there's just more in this Vegas team. And these are the kinds of games that the Raiders have been winning all season. And um, so I, I would expect them to pull it off. No, of course. Seattle at Rams. Uh, we've all gone for Seattle. Ronan, this is your pick of the week. Yeah, like this is a huge game in the NFC West. Um, if the Rams win this, I think they, they come even with, with Seattle. And Arizona will probably go top if, if they win um, against Buffalo. Um, so it's a huge game. And both these teams have been pretty flawed. Like with Seattle, <laughs> we've had a extreme demonstration even for them of how bad this defense can be um, a lot of players playing hurt they, they they came out with a stop the run uh defense last week against buffalo buffalo were like brilliant let's like pass the ball with josh allen he's actually pretty good at that now um but against the rams that is actually an offense which is very very run heavy this year as i've kind of alluded to previously they're almost running the baltimore playbook from last year so it'll be really interesting to see if sean mcveigh seeing what happened there last week with buffalo whether he chooses to to rev up jared goff and put the game on his shoulders because you know if you're gonna do that it's probably against this seattle defense and of course you know the, the game plan for seattle is pretty simple don't have the defense be complete ass and then let Russell Wilson cook. Like, I'm sure Aaron Donald will have a couple of sacks against Russell Wilson. He nearly always does. But even in his bad games, Russell Wilson has been easily going for over 300 yards. He, he's been throwing, you know, at least three touchdowns. It's just about can he avoid those turnovers, maybe avoid Jalen Ramsey, except if DK Metcalf's there, because obviously it's DK Metcalf. So 
look, this is a huge game, the NFC West, which has kind of come back to earth over the last three or four weeks for all of them. Um, but uh, whoever wins this game, huge for seeding, huge for the, the performance, and huge in just setting the tone for where we think these teams actually are in terms of the hierarchy. Our Seattle elite team, our Rams a relevant playoff, like end of playoffs type team. If A lot of this could be decided in this game on, on Sunday. Yeah, I just don't really rate the Rams at the moment at all. Hmm. Like, loads of their wins came off crappy teams and they've kind of struggled against anyone of any quality for the most part. Same thing you said for Seattle, though. That's the problem. That's that We don't really know where these teams are. Yeah. But I trust the I trust the Seattle offense, I think, more than I trust the Rams. Uh, anyway, next up, my pick of the week? Question mark? I was the last one to pick one, so I was torn between two games. Uh, uh, this is your fun pick. You, it is, yeah. Like Cincinnati it. at Pittsburgh. I'm still tempted to swap. We've all gone for Pittsburgh. I'm kind of tempted to go for Cincinnati. Go uh, on. Just for go the fun. On, go on. Yeah, 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 you've yeah. got like a five-game five <laughs> game. I've got like a five-game buffer on you at the moment, so I might as well, yeah. Cincinnati have been playing quite fun of late, uh, like just exciting kind of bits and pieces. They're coming off a bye. This is a big in-division game for them. They've changed up nearly their entire offensive line, and it seems to be working. Pittsburgh, like Pittsburgh are a great team. They are undefeated at the moment, but they nearly lost to the Texas, to the to the Cowboys. Uh and I just think this could be an interesting one for them. I'd expect that it's going to be, like, exciting. I think this is incredibly stupid for me to pick Cincinnati in it, but it'll be more fun that way. Um, yeah, like, I, I, I'm looking forward to watching it. I just think we'll see impressive play out of the rookie. We're going to see a very impressive defense, the best one that he's gone up against so far. Um, but, yeah, like, this is also a defense in Cincinnati that that Pittsburgh should be able to get stuff going against, but that's what we said about uh, Dallas expecting 50 points off them and it didn't happen. So I'm just, I think it'll be an interesting one, a little bit of a heat check game uh, for both teams just to see where they sit at this point. Uh, So yeah, just think it'll be fun. Uh, San Francisco at New Orleans, we've all gone for New Orleans because San Francisco are missing about 30 players to injury and New Orleans just kicked the living shit out of the second seeds in the NFC. Yeah, I've never dismissed San Francisco completely. I think Kyle Shanahan has proven that he can get performances out of that team even when they're say facing a lot of injuries. But yeah, like the 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 level of hurt that they're dealing with at the moment is hard to overcome. But they won't be as hamstrung as they were against Green Bay. They'll have Brandon Ayuk back. Um, they'll have some other players back. They'll have Trent Williams back. So. Look, I think New Orleans have to be prohibitive favourites, especially after the show they put over Tampa Bay. But uh, yeah, I wouldn't completely dismiss this game as, as a potential shock. Yeah. Uh, next up, Baltimore at New England. Fog on for Baltimore. I think this is fairly obvious. Why, Sean? Yeah, I mean, I can't believe in the Pats anymore. Um, I think especially their run defense is going to be in big trouble if, if Lamar um, uh, gets going. Um, I think it's going to be a heartbreaker. I think the Ravens have been consistently, they haven't looked spectacular this season, but they have been consistently beating the teams they should beat. And the, the Patriots now fall into that category of, of teams you should beat. Um, I, I don't know. I mean, I don't even know if I'm going to watch this because of how painful it might be. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think Baltimore pretty comfortably, I should think. Yeah, I'd say so. Finally, Minnesota at Chicago. Uh, <laughs> uh, me and Sean have gone for Chicago and Rowan's gone for Minnesota. I've been flipping flopping on this as well. Like, it feels like a game that Minnesota should win, which is why I'm giving it to Chicago. Yeah, and like, look, like this is they, these teams feel like convergent evolution. Like these teams are both going to finish eight and eight, and probably not in the playoffs. 
It's just that they're doing it in completely different directions. Obviously, Minnesota have racked up a couple of wins after their awful start. Chicago are on a three-game losing streak. We, we both know these teams are completely flawed in Chicago with on offense. It's the Nick Foles crazy show, which didn't do anything in the first half. Like what there was a leading rusher last week was uh, for most of the game. What was like a, a punt uh, special teams clay from Barkevius Mingo. Uh, so, but we know their defense is really good. And now their defense gets a, a very simple task, you know, stop the cook, stop the cook. That's your only job. Stack 10 men in the box and just stop. Dalvin Cook because he is having 200 yard plus games at the moment and going absolutely crazy on teams he did against Seattle as well earlier and so it's just a situation where Chicago if you can stop Dalvin Cook you'll win this game but Dalvin Cook right now to me looks irresistible even against a really good key defense in Chicago and if he has another one of those games and Kirk Cousins has like a touchdown or two on play action then I, I'm going to give Minnesota with the team on the rise the advantage over the Chicago Bears. I've been ahead of the curve in terms of dissing the Bears. I'm going to take it one step forward and give Minnesota a chance against the winning record team. That's a pretty big step up for me to be honest. It, it is, it is. I think this is the big thing to keep a note of is that the the Vikings are playing a team over 500 and still technically the Bears still technically are over 500 so therefore I mean by pure force of logic the Bears should win this game. Yeah, uh, dismiss your logic. <laughs> Dalvin Cook belies logic. He he destroys logic. He runs right through it. He he's just too good right now. He's irresistible. Keep Kirk Cousins away from the ball and that's fine. Yeah, that's the thing though. There, Chicago's intention is to put it in his hands as much as possible. Um, but yeah, so that'll wrap us up for the week. So, any plans with yourselves for the weekend or anything, lads? Uh, not uh, not much. much. No, the, um, the the soccer is on International Week, which is um, horribly boring. I don't know how much of Ireland I'm actually prepared to watch at this point, since they haven't scored a goal since the Stone Age. Um, so, and the only goals they do score are goals from the Stone Age at this point. <laughs> so yeah, I don't know what I'll do. Uh, I might um, not. I mean, you can't go outside. So, well, you can go outside. You can't go to places. So yeah, to figure out figure out something to do with my my weekend. Go read a the, book. The rugby's on on yeah, well, Friday. I do read a lot of books. So. What? Rugby is back on Friday, isn't it? Yeah, but like a Mickey Mouse Nations Cup or something like that. It's not. It's oh, not really. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, the Eight Nations or something like that, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, like Ireland are playing on Friday evening, so that's actually a pretty good spot to kind of sit down and watch a bit of rugby. But uh, yeah, nothing too much uh, here as well. As, as you know, as we said earlier, the numbers are coming down in Ireland right now in COVID-19, which is booking the trend across most of Europe. So I think, you know, our boring lives, which aren't very interesting to talk about, are they're, they're in service to the nation. We are heroes <laughs> and we will not hear anyone uh, complain about the complete lack of juice in these uh, last sections of the podcast. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, not a wild pile. I'm not moving this weekend, so I actually get a weekend to chill out, which would be nice. Uh, don't have to travel cross country this time around, so I will be doing that and doing very little. It'll be fantastic. Mm, right, I suppose that'll wrap us up for this week. Uh, so, as always, bye from myself, bye from Ronan, bye, bye from Sean. Bye. This has been all four quarters. Thanks for listening, and we'll chat to you next week. <laughs>